I'm Ed Randall, and you're listening to Baseball and Barbecue. This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. To episode number 55 of Baseball and Barbecue. I'm Led Aberman. I'm here with my favorite co-host, Jeff Cohen. And we are very excited. We have right to be excited, right, Jeff? Absolutely. This is one episode where you can't say we don't have the right to be excited. If you can't guess, that music is from the movie A League of Their Own. Yes. One, of the, one of the best baseball movies ever. Top 10 baseball movies. Right? Yes. Now... We don't have on Gina Davis. We have better. Yes, we do. All right. We have on none other than Anika Orak. 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 Sorry. And she wrote a book called The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. And she was kind enough to come on with us and talk about the book, talk about her interviews with the players. This this is something that so many people don't know about. Even even with the, the movie brought attention to it. But you know, the movie um, movies come and they go and then, again, people forget. So this book is really going to bring attention to this again. A little information. The book will be on sale on March 10th, 2020. Available at Amazon. Available on Anika's Orocks website, A N I K A O R R O C K dot com. Check it out. Great book. Before we get to Anika, that's only part of the special episode. It's it's episode fifty five. Oh, you want to give our contact information and then tell who we have coming on? Yes. All right, go ahead. Give us a call five one six eight five five eight two one four. Email. Baseball and BBQ at gmail.com. Tweet us. Our Twitter address is at Baseball and BBQ. We're on Instagram. Our Instagram address is Baseball and Barbecue. Barbecue rolls spelled out. We're on YouTube, Baseball yes. and BBQ. And we have our website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. You can check out all our previous episodes. Do us a favor. Rate us. Rate us. Give us a great rating. Uh, give us a, a review. Yeah, we work hard. Give us an A for effort, at least. Uh, at least, yeah. Right? Of course. Yeah. Please. And, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I was very pleasantly surprised that when I went into Google and I put in top barbecue podcasts, top BBQ podcasts, and ours was one of five that popped up. 
excellent. So I was very, I was very happy about that. Now, if you put in baseball, you know, I, we're somewhere. <laughs> but but we're working on it. Yeah, but you know, don't don't sell us slow here. Our baseball guests have been pretty good. They're fantastic. Yeah, pretty pretty good. So yeah. Len, in addition to Anika. Yeah, we're gonna put the interview on. Who's uh, who else do we have on? We have on someone. Well, all right. So Jeff, if I said to you, um, this person is known by one name, right? One name, this person's known. That's it. Who? Take a guess. Chair. You are so close. Take another guess. Charo. Gucci Gucci. Oh, that's. Yeah, Char. Well, I hope we have listeners that are from like the '60s. <laughs> no, '70s. Uh, '70s. All right. Uh, how about Madonna? Madonna is another okay. one. All right. And maybe uh, now you have Shakira. Right. Right. Okay. Well, he is not. I don't know if he could sing. All right. Should have asked him that one. Yeah, should have asked him. But we're gonna have on Meathead. Meathead. Yes. And I'm not talking about. Uh, I'm not talking about. Oh, uh, uh, give me a meathead. I can't, I'm trying to do Archie Bunker, and I can't, <laughs> I can't do it, Archie Bunker. But I'm not talking meathead from All in the Family. I'm talking about meathead from AmazingRibs.com. Uh huh. Okay, meathead, the website entrepreneur, the barbecue guru, barbecue book. His book is called Meathead: The Science of Great Barbecue and Grilling. It is a phenomenal book because it just, it's not just recipes. He talks about the science of grilling. So, you know, I, I don't know if you're one of those people who, when I was a kid, there were certain things, maybe me a little bit, but other people more, they would start to take things apart. They had to know how things worked. Right. Right. He is one of those people, I think. He likes to, because he likes to, why does it work? What What is it about it? Why do people think that this is going to work or this doesn't work? Or, and that's the book. It's a great book. And, it really and is. go on the, the website, amazingribs.com. It is full of information, different links, news, recipes. Like you said technique and science. Product uh, reviews. There's barbecue info, uh, barbecue competition info, history and culture. And it's actually a. Uh, a club that you can actually uh, join yep. called the Pitmaster Club. I think he's doing a 30-day free membership, and then I think it's $29 a year or $30 a year after that. Well worth it. And let you know, he's a member yes. of the Pitmaster Club. And, yeah, I'm look, very looking forward to this interview. Yeah, so Anika Oruk. Yes. Meathead. And uh, it, it's just going to be We have incredible. baseball and BBQ uh, uh, well covered today. Well covered. Before we before we get to the interview, Jeff, we would we have to just touch upon something that in the world of baseball that has been front and center, and that is the Houston Astros cheating scandal. They cheated? Yeah. I, I didn't hear about this. <laughs> so I, I just want to know. Give me your thoughts. Well, obviously they use technology, which is a big no-no. Right. They should have been punished more severely, but Manfred, the the, uh, the commissioner who really doesn't do much, he's afraid to take on the union to dole uh, out penalties and, and really suspend these guys for, really, they, they cheated their way right. to a championship. 
We actually, talk, you know what I'm trying to think now. Did we talked to Gary Mack. We talked to Gary right? Mack. Yeah. Uh, did we? We talked about the cheating scandal now. That I, right? Well, little, more, more information has come out since then. Yeah. Right. That's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So now we really know um, that Carlos Beltran was really involved. Very involved. involved. Yeah. And yeah. you know now there, there's there's some some excuses with. Altuve, why didn't he take off the shirt? Was there a buzzer? Who knows? He's saying it's a bad tattoo. Right. I mean, come on, give me a break. Right. Uh, I don't know if there's a buzzer or not, but who who knows? Right. Well, I mean, uh, who wants to expose a bad tattoo? Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so there's talk about retaliation and stuff like that. You know, will the Astros be thrown at or pitched inside more? I will tell you though, I heard that the Staten Island Yankees on September third in their park, the minor league, single A, Philly, the New York Yankees, in Staten Island, are giving away, to the first 500 people, miniature garbage cans. <laughs> in time, because the Astros will be going to the Yankee Stadium in later September. So, you know, this type of promotion to, uh, you know, and they're playing the Astros minor league team. So kind of, uh, you know, a little dig there. You know, it's just funny. This, this is, I don't think the cheating scandal is funny, but it's amazing how... This is the thing that is getting all the that, players that, pissed off. That's true, but you know what? They they were cheating with PEDs, right? And, exactly. And I'm, I'm sure you know. I don't have any proof, obviously, but Astros can't be the only one trying to, right? You know, try to right. get an edge. Right. So they they went beyond, right? But using uh, TV cameras and, and technology, where uh, everybody else is, you know, just trying to study the third base coach or the catcher when they when running on second base and whatnot. All I have to say is I got two things to say. One. If you're going to criticize, you know, you're going to throw stones, you better make sure your house is clean. Yes. That's one. And two, if you're going to going to complain about it, you know, make sure that you never do anything wrong because it will come and bite you. Absolutely. With that, let's bring on our guest, Meathead. Our guest is a great example of taking something you love and making it into a career. His website, AmazingRibs.com, is one of, if not the most, heavily trafficked barbecue and grilling websites in which one could literally spend entire days immersed in recipes, product reviews, tips, videos, and on and on, and still miss something. His book, entitled Meathead, the Science of Great Barbecue and Grilling has been rated by Southern Living Magazine as one of the 100 best cookbooks of all time. And he is one of those rare people who can be identified by just one name. His mission is to teach people how to cook better outdoors, and he is gracious enough to come on our show. Welcome, Meathead, to Baseball and Barbecue. Thank you, Leon and Jeff. It's a pleasure to be with you. You flatter me. You, you've got the whole story there. But not one of the most popular. We can prove it. <laughs> By far the most popular. Well, I was, I was, I was hedging my bet because I, I thought it was the most popular, but, you know, I, just in case. We had, We're averaging 2 million page views a month. Wow. And in the summer, it can go 4 million. And that's down from 2018 when we are averaging 3 million page views a month. Every time Google changes their algorithm, the whole internet catches gold, you know? Meathead, I just, I just want to say that, look, I'm a big baseball fan, and if I ever met my, my favorite player, Tom Seaver, I'd be ecstatic. You should see what Leonard's doing right now. He is uh, so, uh, he is going so giddy right now. <laughs> hey, you know, 
know, you've got me uh, in my uh, tough spot. Uh, we can talk baseball too. I, uh, I I grew up on Long Island when in the heyday of Mantle and Marist. Oh wow! Oh, I didn't know you were from Long Island. I didn't know I that. I was. I was. I lived on e in East Meadow uh, oh, wow. from '55 to I forget early '60s. But I, you know, I used to bring my little transistor radio with those pink earplugs to school and sit in the back row and listen to listen to the home run race. All right. Well, uh, Jeffson uh, Jeffson Wantwine, I'm in Belmore, so uh, we know East Meadow very well. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> I, I would never guess. You don't sound like you're from New York. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Meathead, we've got to, you know, since this is the first time that we've spoken to you, and we we have to, you know, I've heard you, uh, of course, uh, interviewed. I am a huge fan of AmazingRibs.com. Oh, I'm, I'm in the, the Pitmaster Club. I love it. But we have to ask you the first question people are going to wonder, where would the name Meathead come from? How old I am. Uh, right. <laughs> when I was a teenager, uh, I watched Debunker, and for your listeners who are not familiar, it was a wonderful TV show mm -hmm. uh, featuring a uh, blue collar, hard working uh, bigot and his <laughs> uh, hippie dippy uh, son in law, right. and uh, Archie called uh, his uh, son in law Meathead. Right. And this was uh, always a running gag between my dad and I, and he always called me Meathead. And uh, when I got into the internet, I've been fussing around on the internet since when you had to type www to go somewhere. You know, I mean, uh, the, the, you know, I, I was doing a, a wine site before the World Wide Web, and, and uh, you needed a handle. You know, you needed a name. Everybody has a name on Twitter. Uh, I, I picked Meathead. Uh, it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, most people, of course, they probably think, oh, barbecue, meat, meathead. But, you know, most people probably don't think of all in the family. But uh, Well, in, in, the, in the TV show, the, the character meathead was played by Rob Reiner. Yes, yes. that's right. And, and Rob Reiner has been known as meathead. And I always, you know, he's really politically active, really opinionated. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, very much like the character he played on TV, and I, uh, at least once a week, I get some sort of post on Twitter calling me names and arguing with my politics, but it's not me, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's funny. Here's the connection. Rob Reiner, correct me if I'm wrong, was married to Penny Marshall. Yes. Right? Yes. That's right. So, And Penny Marshall directed... A League of Their Own. Right. On this episode right. that you're going to be on, we just had on a woman who, a, a wonderful writer and, and uh, illustrator. Her name is Anika Oreck. She wrote The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. It comes out March 10th. So there's, there's the connection. You guys will both be on that? the same episode. <laughs> well, I, I was a huge baseball fan. As I say, I was indoctrinated as a boy. And I, we, we, lived, we then moved from Long Island to Sarasota, where the White Sox trained. And I mm. became a White Sox fan. And uh, I even got a 59 White Sox autographed baseball with Kelly nice. Fox and nice. all of those great go-go socks of those days. And 
uh, then I eventually moved around and moved around. I ended up here in Chicago, but you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hate me for this. Uh, I haven't been to baseball games since the strike. Well, but you know what? I, I, I've heard that. You know, yeah. yeah. I got so pissed off. Right. I mean, I loved baseball. It was uh, a huge favorite sport, and they stole the World Series. Mm. Hitler couldn't stop the World Series. Right. right. It, the World Series has been played since the first day of the history of baseball, and a bunch of rich players and rich owners with gold jewelry hanging around their neck on the when, when they're at bat mm. stole the World Series. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I gave up. I haven't been there since. Mm, uh, we used to go to, uh, you know, I was uh, I was kind of non-sectarian. I, I know that's hard to hear in Chicago. But I would go to both Sox and Cubs games. And it was baseball. I didn't care who right. I was rooting for. Uh, but uh, haven't been to, I, now I've been to minor league. Okay. There's uh, the Chicago Dogs, which is a minor league team, and uh, their motto is a hot dog, which is perfect for me. <laughs> 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 I love hot dogs. <laughs> Well, we we actually went to we went to Citizens Bank Park, and we uh, met with Greg Luzinski. So uh, you'll remember Greg Luzinski, the bull, right? The bull. Yeah, the bull. I, right. I can see him now when the Sox wore those horizontal stripes, and his chest was so big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. We were at a Sox game when we saw four home runs hit back to back to back to back. And I was at the, I was in the park when, um, oh, God, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Um, the shortstop who became the White Sox manager. Oh, Guillen. Um, Ozzie Guillen. Ozzie. I was in the park the day Ozzie set foot on the field for the first time. Really? Yeah. So, I'm an old fart. Yeah. So, the first, and, and Greg Luzinski has a place there called Bull's Barbecue, and he is really into barbecue, and he used to, he told us he'd come home uh, late at night from, you know, the home games, and he'd start smoking or having his barbecue going, you know, and the neighbors would, it would be like late at night, and he'd be out there grilling, and all the neighbors would be like, what's going on? Why am I smelling barbecue at one in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Boog is a big barbecue. Yes. He had he had a, uh, uh, I don't know if it's still there, in right field in uh, Baltimore. I mean, I went, when, when I went to the stadium there, uh, before I boycotted baseball, I ate Blue's barbecue. Yeah, that's on our that's on our bucket list. On, We're, on our list. Yeah, it's on our lists. All right, so I never expected, it's funny, I never expected Meathead to come on and it to be baseball yeah, talk. exactly. So, <laughs> I, you know, but you just never, that's why it's two great topics, baseball and barbecue. They go so well together. They so, indeed. So now, I, I want to ask you a, a general question before we kind of get into the nitty gritty. Why do we, and this is, you know, this could, we could spend hours on this, I'm sure. So why do we love barbecue and grilling so much? I ask this of, of a lot of the guests. What is it, and it's becoming so much more popular, what is it that, that just drives us, why we love it? Well, there's there are numerous reasons. But first of all, the food tastes better. I mean, you can cook just about anything that you cook indoors, outdoors. But it tastes better. Their fire and smoke are spices, seasonings, flavorings, and they improve the flavor of the food. Think of it, a hot dog simmered in water or a hot dog on the grill. Mm. On the grill. It tastes better. Yeah. So it, it, first of all, improves the flavor. Now, we can get into the other stuff. I mean, 
there is something primal. There's probably something that reaches back into our DNA about sitting around the fire, uh, cavemen, uh, the, all the guys hanging around the fire and talking about uh, the day, uh, the hunt of the day. Uh, you know, the, the but it, you know that's interesting too. The, the the men were the hunters, the women were the gatherers, but the women were the one who tended ones who tended the fires, so they were the first pitmasters. Right. But uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's just something primal about fire and smoke that attracts us. I mean, think about it. you can sit and watch a fire for hours. Fire mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, I think also as the world gets just you know busier and more hectic and just it, everything's going so fast there's something about having to you know you're smoking your food i mean forget uh, about you know gas grills and all that but to have just barbecue and to have your smoker set up and you can't rush it you just have to wait and it makes you just slow down and appreciate things and it just i think there's something about that it's just the, the it, it is there's you know it, it and, and it, it, it it engenders some sort of special feeling in us i mean there is no spaghetti club uh <laughs> you know we got the pitmaster clubs right thousand people pay 24 bucks a year to be members of our right. pitmaster club because they're fanatic about barbecue yes there is no pasta society well I'm, i imagine there is but it's aren't many of them. Now, there's pasta restaurants, just right. like there's barbecue restaurants, but people aren't fanatic about it. Uh, there's just something fanatic about, uh, well, hey, there's a connection. If we talk about baseball fans, that is a derivative of the word fanatic, right. and people are fanatic about barbecue. Yes. You know, there's also a football connection. We talk about football being played on the gridiron. Well, it, the gridiron was actually an iron grid that was used for grilling on. Yeah. Um, that's when it's called a gridiron because if you look at it from the, the the upper deck, it looks like a grill. Yeah. I heard that, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. I love it. Very cool. I love it. All right, Meathead, we've got St. Patrick's Day coming up. Mm. One of the th- I think when I first found you was I was looking for with pastrami and corned beef and and I came upon I heard an interview that you did and I came upon the site I want to talk about St. Patty's Day corned beef it's coming up the best pastrami you know it's the best pastrami right you say it on your site talk about yeah exactly which is that's probably the oldest world's oldest barbecue I guess right I say it is it always drives Southern Baptist <laughs> when I say when I ask them what's the oldest barbecue joint in America and they go uh, I tell them well I think it's Katz's Deli in New York they have been I mean let's start at the beginning is essentially corned beef right that's been smoked now corned beef is usually made from a cut of beef from the underside or the chest of the animal either the the brisket, which is the pectoral muscles, um, and they're very, very tough because steers don't have collarbones to carry the weight of the forequarters of the animal. So the, for, the, the whole front end of the animal is borne by the pectoral muscles, so they're very tough 
muscles, a lot of connective tissue, and they're very hard to get tender. Or the other cut that was commonly used is called the navel, and that runs across the belly, and it's very fatty, and it's not good for much because it's got way too much fat and sinew and connective tissue. So these were really poor men's cuts, and they were uh, on, the, on, on, the, on, the, on the lower side of Manhattan, which was where all the Jews and the Irish laborers and the, and the poor, the shtetls and the, the ghetto was, um, and, 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 and the early Jewish delis like Katz's, which was founded, I think, in 1888, made corned beef from the brisket or the, or the navel, and you make corned beef by soaking it in a brine, uh, salt water, and usually you add a particular kind of salt uh, called prod powder number one, which is a sodium nitrate additive, which is a preservative. And it's what turns the meat pink. So corned beef is soaked in salt and frog powder number one. And you can throw in seasonings, but they don't have much of an effect. It's just the frog powder and the salt. And that cures the meat and preserves the meat. And so it can stay in the refrigerator much longer. And in those days, refrigeration was not common. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, it was ice. There was no electric refrigerators. So it was a preservation technique. And if you took this meat, this corned beef, and they call it corning because the the, the uh, salt grains were large. They were like the the, um, the kernels of corn. And the uh, if you take this corned beef and you put a black powder, uh, black powder, black pepper, <laughs> black powder, <laughs> black pepper and other spices on it, and uh, you, um, you smoke it, the crust turns dark and black, and it gets this wonderful flavor, and that's what pastrami is. It's smoked corned beef, right. and they've been doing it at Katz's Deli, Katz's Deli since 1888. That makes them the oldest barbecue joint in America. And, and, and pastrami, I think, is the ultimate expression of brisket. I prefer it to Texas-style brisket, which I love and I cook all the time, and it is one of the holy grails of great barbecue because it is such a tough meat, and it takes skill and patience and effort to make it tender and juicy. But pastrami is just much better tasting. Oh yeah, wait, and on a on a on rye bread with sauerkraut and maybe some Swiss and mm -hmm. Island brown egg. mustard. Oh, yeah, yeah, now you're talking. Yeah. So now okay. on your on your site you have you have the recipe. Now I know that people could take a brisket and they could brine it. The problem with that is that it takes a lot of space in the refrigerator, and it's you have to have it. It's got to be in the refrigerator. <laughs> So, and and it takes a couple of weeks to brine something, right? Uh, to brine a, uh, a a brisket, right? Yeah, let's just be specific about the terminology. Okay. It's actually curing. Sorry, yes, curing. It's, it's, it's the prawn powder right. is the cure. Um, brining is just soaking in salt. This is in right. a cure. Right. Um, the prog powder, uh, the uh, preservative, sodium nitrite. And it's the same thing that is used for making ham, for making hot dogs. You know, they're all the same pink color. It's sodium nitrite, and it's, uh, uh, it, it, it's preservative. So uh, the, the curing process can take a, a couple of weeks. It depends on how thick the meat is. 
I mean, you can cure hot dogs very rapidly because they're not very thick. <clears throat> but brisket can be very thick. And the cure and the salt moves slowly through the, through the meat. So the shortcut, which is, I think, where you were going with that, yeah. is you can actually go out and buy corned beef. And uh, you, you want to soak it first um, overnight, if you can, change the water a few times, and get a little of the excess salt out. It can be way too salty. Right. Soak it a little bit, get some of the excess salt out, and then use the rub recipe on our website. I worked real hard to reverse engineer it so that it comes very close. The recipe is called Close to Cats' Pastrami, and uh, there are so many. I mean, just a few weeks ago, some rabbi even came in there and said, oh my God, I, 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 I miss New York, but the thing I miss the most was Katz's pastrami, and your recipe takes me back. It's very close. Um, and so you put this rub on it, and you throw it on the smoker, or you can do it on a grill, actually. You can set up your grill to smoke meat, and you can make really awesome pastrami. You want to get a good corned beef. Um, there are differences in qualities, and some of the really cheapo corned beefs that they churn out around St. Patrick's Day are kind of gelatinous, mm. and you also want to look at them. They come in a um, in a plastic bag, a cryovac bag, they call it, and there's a lot of the liquid, the cure, with the spices in there, and you want to look at it carefully because often there is a very thick layer of fat in there. So you want to get something that is more meat than fat. Now, you're going to get fat anyhow, but um, you want to get uh, something that is more meat than fat. So you got to inspect that package. And if you can, get one from a butcher shop rather than from a grocery store that's just trying to move El Cheapo uh, corned beef for St. Patrick's Day. Uh, but if you get a good corned beef, you can make killer pastrami from it. Yeah, that's... I, I look for, Well, actually... So I usually do go the cheapo route, and I go to the grocery store right after St. Patrick's Day, yeah. and I do buy those packages, but I'm not going to do that this time. This time I'm going butcher. Well, your, your grocery store may be selling a good brand. Right. Here in Chicago, there's a company called Vienna Beef, and they make our favorite hot dogs, and they also make a pretty decent corned beef, but there's a bunch of companies that make it. It just has the wrong texture. It's very gelatinous. You want to have some firmness. But in any case, yeah, that's a really good time is to hit the grocery store or the butcher shop right after St. Patrick's Day because now they're stuck with inventory and they usually discount it. Well, I'm going to encourage Len to uh, check out that uh, Close to Katz's pastrami rub. I see the recipe right here. I'm gonna, oh, I've used it. Oh, oh I'm going to. Oh, I love it. Good. I love it. Amazingribs.com. I encourage everybody, join the Pitmaster Club. It's it's well worth it. I mean, you can just you can explore the site without that, but it adds so much more to go in. They have a monthly contest to, to win a, a grill, of course. Uh, you know, that's... We give away some really yeah. fancy, expensive grills and smokers every oh, month. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's cool. We, we sat down, we had a, a team meeting uh, just uh, yesterday, and we were going over, uh, you know, this is, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to run off into a, a tangent here, and you can always edit me out if you want, but the internet is changing rapidly. I mean, I, I founded AmazingRibs.com in 2005, and I've been active 
on the internet since the 90s. I was a uh, early prime player in AOL. Um, when, when AOL was Facebook, dominated the world back in the uh, 80s. Uh, but uh, the internet is changing rapidly, and it's very hard for a small independent company like mine right. to make a living on advertising. The supply and demand holds true in advertising on the internet today that the price of ads has declined so that, you know, if you're a big site like the Food Network, you can have a big website and the TV station supports it. I'm sure they depend on advertising. But the way the internet is going is going to be the membership model, a lot like PBS and NPR. If you want quality content, whether you're into chess, or pasta, or baseball, if you want a website that provides you quality information, you're probably going to have to start paying for it, uh, unless I have a big corporate parent. And we started this tech concept of the Pitmaster Club in 2004, 24 bucks a year, and it's a community. Um, it's, it's, an, it, it's a forum where people exchange recipes, ideas, um, their, 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 their feelings about their grill and what grill they want to get and their features and where the barbecue restaurants and uh, cuts of meat and it's just, it's interchange. We have, we, we, we participate, but I stay out of it in, 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 my, in most of the time because I don't want to hamper the conversation. It just rolls. Uh, and it's the coolest thing. It keeps us alive. Uh, do the math. We have 16,000 members at 24 bucks. That's a business model for a small website. We'll be the largest barbecue membership community in the world in the next year. We'll pass the Kansas City Barbecue Society easily. It's cool. And, uh, and it's a fun place and there's all kinds of benefits to membership. I have one question. I've been perusing your website for a couple of weeks now, and it's really great. Looking at your one of your links says about us, and I see a, a Rick Brown PhD, which <laughs> I guess it's harder to get to the PhD because there's only thirty of them in the world. Doctor of barbecue. They, they, they don't issue that degree anymore. It was um, something that uh, Kansas City Barbecue Society was giving uh, to people who uh, they felt were at the top of the barbecue knowledge world. Ph, Ph of barbecue, and uh, there were I think only twenty of them. Uh, now they've kind of migrated into the Hall of Fame. There's a barbecue Hall of Fame now. You don't you don't get a bronze bust. There's only 27 members, and I'm pleased to say I was nominated, and uh, hopefully I'll be elected to the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, that would be a, as in baseball, it would be a highlight of my career, but uh, it's pretty cool uh, being a PhD. Uh, they don't make them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they had pellet grills. We were talking about the Pitmaster Club. Yeah. i got to get in a plug here. Oh, sure. yeah. Go ahead. Um, we're taking... There's never been a convention for barbecue lovers, and we're holding one this summer, July 31st to August 2nd, in Memphis. And it's a whole weekend, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event of barbecue seminars, visiting barbecue restaurants, uh, whole hog. Uh, It's just going to be a lot of fun. And if anybody's interested, uh, it's a great way to spend a weekend. Uh, it, you'll see the ads for it all over our website. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, that looks like a phenomenal. Jeff, you want to send me? Well, you know, it, 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 I'd love to send you. It uh, seems like uh, Memphis is being really big in barbecue. Cause I heard of Memphis in May. Right. And now this. I mean, I've heard, heard of Kansas City, barbecue, Texas, Carolinas. Memphis is, uh, is going to be up there, right? You mentioned the big players, frankly. Uh, um, Memphis is, is, is one of the uh, barbecue-centric cities. There are probably more barbecue restaurants per capita in Memphis than any other city. And it's very pork-centric in Memphis. And then Kansas City is the one that you would think of uh, at the same time. I've heard it called the Constantinople of barbecue. It has every style that you can think of. Uh, and also uh, just a, a ton of barbecue restaurants, extraordinarily good ones. Austin is the center of another barbecue uh, locust. And, uh, but, of course, all of Texas is barbecue. And uh, the Carolinas, it's, there are several different styles uh, of barbecue through the Carolinas, uh, but the Carolinas are uh, notably big on barbecue. Uh, Chicago has, uh, the South Side has its own style in Southern California, Santa Maria barbecue. But the big, the big ones are Kansas City, uh, Memphis, and Austin, and to a slightly lesser extent, the Carolinas. Meathead, pellet grills. Are we just seeing the beginning? or uh, is, <laughs> what, what is going on with pellet grills? Are they taking over the world? Well, yeah, in fact, they might. You know, pellet grills, for your listeners who are not familiar, um, you are all familiar with gas grills. In fact, that is by far the most popular type of grill. Um, it, it's very simple and easy. They're bulletproof. The brain dead simple. You, you, you go out, you turn a dial, you come back in 10 minutes, it's preheated, and you can start cooking. Their biggest disadvantage is they don't have any kind of temperature control. There's no thermostat. You don't know what temperature you're cooking at. And cooking is all about temperature control. And you have, uh, you know, if you get experience with it, you can get an idea of what you're cooking with, but those dial thermometers that they put on gas grills are garbage. They're uh, a technology that was invented in the 1800s. They're two pieces of metal that expand at a different rate, and they're up in the dome. And that's a good place for them if you're going to eat the dome. But the food is down below, and you need your probe next to the food because it's a different temperature than up in the dome. So those thermometers are are worthless. Plus, if you really know what you're doing on a grill, you learn to cook with two zones, a hot zone and a non-hot zone, and that dial thermometer is right smack in the middle, so it's not telling you anything. It's averaging the two zones. So you need to get a digital thermometer. That's the single most important thing you can do to improve your cooking is get a digital thermometer that you can place a probe next to the meat. And I get, while you're at it, get another digital thermometer, an instant read, that you can stick into the meat and will tell you exactly the temperature of the meat at the moment. But that, that's the key to good cooking is temperature control. Charcoal grills now actually have some thermostat controllers that you can buy. They're aftermarket, third party, <laughs> but they're a little fan and a probe. And when you set the temperature, the fan either turns off the oxygen supply to the charcoal and it cools the grill down or it turns on the fan and that blows air in so you can 
actually control the temperature of a charcoal grill fairly easily if it's a tight seal. The beauty of pellet smokers, and I call them pellet smokers, not pellet grills, and I'll explain why, is they're digitally controlled. They have a digital panel, and many of them now have an app that connects to your smartphone. And you can set them, and they are precise to within plus or minus five degrees. Your indoor oven is not that precise. Your indoor oven, the way ovens and thermostats work is that your indoor oven, for example, it, you set the temperature and it turns on the flame or the, or the electrical element and the temperature, say you set it for 225, it'll go up to about 235, turn off, go down to about 220, 215, go on, go up and down, making this snake like what they call a sinusoidal wave. So it averages 225, but it's only at 225 for a little bit of the time. On a pellet grill, that sinusoidal wave is much tighter. It'll go up to maybe 230 and down to 220. So it's a very tight mm. cycle. And it, it is really uh, effective. And you set it and forget it. You can walk away for 10, 12 hours, and you can throw a brisket, which can take 12 hours to cook, to make it tender, and just walk away. Or you can set it up and it'll run all night without attendance. Uh, and it has a nice flavor. It's not a really strong, heavy smoke flavor as you get when you burn logs. Right. But it's got a nice smoke flavor, and they're coming down in price. And they have always been an interesting niche, and it's been building in popularity. But this year, this month, Weber got into the game, and Weber put out a pellet smoker. And that now makes it legitimate, because Weber is an industry pacemaker and leader. And so I think we're going to see a lot more of them um, And uh, because you don't have to be a craftsman or an artist. You don't have to sit next to your smoker and, you know, watch the temperature and feed it a log every hour and so on and adjust the valves. You just set temperature work, walk away. They're fantastic, too. I'm, we are going... I don't want to let you go, but I know that we've had you on a long time. But I have to... One, I'm going to promote your book. Phenomenal book. Meathead, The Science of Great Barbecue and Grilling. But your book has done something to me that I, I, I can't forgive. You have ruined beer can chicken for me, Meathead. All right? Now, <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I used, to, I used to be a big beer can chicken fan, and I realize now that I was delusional and yeah so could you just could you please tell our listeners um all right that's it's good that you saved it for the end of the broadcast because people are going to start hanging up now Um, you know i get more death threats over this one Uh, yeah i have a big article about it and a video on this subject on amazingribs.com but here's the here's the point a properly cooked chicken is cooked to about 160 to 170 degrees internal temperature in the meat. At that temperature, it's both tender, juicy, and safe to eat. You've killed all the bacteria, and that's a problem with chicken more so than with any other meat. What temperature does water boil? 212. Beer is 90%, depending on you know, how much alcohol in 
it. It's, it's I will say it's an average, ninety percent water. So you put a beer can up the ass of a chip. <laughs> did I? Did I? Am no, I man, it's good. You're good. <laughs> I love it. You put a beer can up the butt of a chicken, and uh, <laughs> and it's never going to boil. Right. Uh, so it, I mean, it, it won't go any higher than the temperature of the chicken. It becomes a thermal mass. The chicken and oh. the beer can are going to be about the same temperature. In fact, if it comes out of the fridge, it's going to be cold. So it never boils. Um, and even if it did, even if it got hot enough to simmer a boil and a little steam might come out, where's it going to go? It can't go through the sides of the can, so it can't enter the chicken's cavity. It might come out of the top and strike just a little bit of the interior of the shoulders of the chicken. And when it does, that meat is cool. It'll condense on it, and it rolls back into the can. So at the very most, it's going to flavor a little bit of the inside of the shoulders. But here it gets worse. It can't penetrate the chicken. The chicken is already saturated with moisture. Meat is about 70% water. And if you think of it, it's like a sponge. It's fully saturated. There's no room for the beer to get in there. Even if you took the chicken and soaked it in a vat of beer, it can't get beyond the surface maybe a sixteenth of an inch. There's no way it can get in. So it's not going to go all the way down to the drumsticks and through the thighs and into the breast meat. What it does is, is it's roast chicken. And it's a roast chicken that's sitting up and he looks kind of cool. And it tastes wonderful. And everybody says, my beer can chicken is wonderful meat. I do crazy. It's a great way to cook it. Of course it tastes wonderful. It's roast chicken for crying out loud. (laughs) It's always wonderful when you roast a chicken. Um, (laughs) But the beer has nothing to do with it. Um, It just looks cool. And if you really want to make a chicken great tasting, break it into parts. Uh, because then it'll cook faster and you'll lose less moisture and and, and you can temperature test each individual part and get it off uh, each part at the ideal temperature and you can brown all the sides because brown is beautiful brown is flavor when you got a beer can in the cavity you can't brown the cavity so it's it's just not what you think it is i i had to tell you meathead thank you you're beautiful, all right? Meathead's beautiful. We... I get, I get people, and they argue with me. They, uh, they just, you know, and they, they try to argue the physics and the chemistry with me. <laughs> if you go to AmazingRibs.com, I haven't erased any of the comments that people make. They're hysterical. I mean, they're, you know, uh, well, you know, beer can boil at 160 degrees. Okay. <laughs> well, what about the alcohol? Uh, dear. Um, so, in any case, now you're working on another book, cool. right? Yeah, yeah, the damn fool that I am. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I I just decided it was supposed to be finished by November and out next spring and I just looked at my calendar and said there's no way I'm going to have it finished on time so it's going to be delayed till spring 2022 not 21 I'm sorry to say Uh, but members of the Pitmaster Club I am posting chapters as I write them in there for free to members 
Yeah. So if you like my writing in the book, you can see um, what's going to come in the next book in the Pitmaster Club. It's another. It's another benefit of, of the club. <laughs> yeah. And 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 with that, Meathead, thank you so much for this. We really appreciate it. Oh, this was fun. Let's do it again. Oh, absolutely. We would we would I, love you to. Know, maybe uh, when the season starts, we'll talk hot dogs. I oh, I fair. can talk. That's a fun topic. There's regional styles of hot dogs, and we can talk hot dogs. You know, it's funny you mentioned how hot dogs taste better on the grill. I agree with you. My wife, who, you know, I hate that. The foodie, you know, people call them foodies if they, if they use, you know, if they use more than salt and pepper uh, in their cooking, they're a foodie. But she does love to cook. When I make the pastrami, she makes homemade rye bread, you know, so, and homemade mustard, so. But she does Come not like now. grilled. She does not like grilled hot dogs. She only likes them, you know, boiled. boiled. Well, they're not really boiled. Well, they're right. not, they're, yeah. they, you don't boil yeah. a hot dog. You simmer them. Yeah, you yeah. simmer them, right? They're yeah. called dirty water dogs. Yes. Dirty water dogs. Yes. <laughs> dirty water dogs, and that's the, that's the New York and the Chicago way. The, they're 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 simmered, and they a lot of people love them best that way. I think they're better on the grill, but uh, that's uh, that's a, you know that's. Like, do you like blondes, brunettes, or redheads? You know, that'll start a fight. Right. <laughs> when I was in college, I wanted to make hot dogs. So I went to the grocery store. I don't know. Maybe I bought cheap hot dogs. But I always thought you boiled hot dogs. This, you know, this was years ago. And uh, so I did boil them. And they, you know, when you actually boil them, they become like just masses of disgusting... And, well, they often will split open. It's a natural casing. Yeah. And, and I ate them. And, and after that, it took me years before I was able to eat a hot dog that was oh, not grilled. Oh, that's because, terrible. Yeah, they were off. Well, you know, we're stealing from the next show. Let's do hot dogs. <laughs> okay. Oh, great. I mean, that's baseball, dude. You know, we can save it to the 4th of July. Or we can do ribs on the 4th of July. Because ribs is, to me, that's 4th of July food. Uh, you know, that's like turkey on Thanksgiving. Yeah. But uh, we can talk burgers, whatever you want. Awesome. Um, I, I love talking uh, baseball and barbecue. Thank you. Well, we you, then you are the perfect guest for us. Right. I want I want to thank Meathead for coming on the show. And while Len, uh, you know, gets his uh, heart rate down, I, I can't. I, I'm, <laughs> I am speechless. You are, and, and that is a first. Well, yes. I want to remind everybody: if you want to comment on on Meathead or anything, just give us a call, 516-855-8214, email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at baseballandbbq. Len, you still high on that, on that episode? I want, I can't wait for him to come back on. I know. It was, it was fantastic. I just, again, you know, I'll never, actually, you know what, I will make beer can't chicken, I just won't use the beer. Okay. Because... I have actually you bought me one of these. Yes. I have the stand, right? You could you basically could put the chicken on cuz the stand you could put up. You don't need the can cuz the chicken goes over it. Right. And you put a pan underneath it because you want to catch the the drippings. You don't want that all going in your grill. But you don't need the beer. So so basically you're saving you, you don't need well, to first, waste the beer. First you drink the beer. Well, whatever you want to do. But the point is, you don't even need to have a beer. Right. So the whole thing, he's totally right about the roasted chicken. Sure. It's delicious. Yeah. When you have the chicken upright like that, uh -huh. okay, so take away the beer, but you have the chicken upright, the fat drips down. 
the skin crisps. Uh huh. It is fantastic, and he's so right. It gets nothing from the can of beer. Sorry, guys, he is right. But you will save on beer. Just drink the beer. Absolutely. Okay. And Len, let's talk about some baseball. The incredible women of the All American Professional All American Girls Professional Baseball League. I we had an interview with Anika Orak. Yeah. Great interview. Great book. Book will be available on March 10th. I encourage everyone to go out and buy it. The illustrations are fantastic. The quotes, the facts, the figures, the story. Go get this book. Encourage everybody. And with that, here is Anika Orak. Baseball on BBQ is proud to have Anika Orak, an illustrator, writer, designer, cartoonist, humorist, and baseball devotee from the Bay Area, California. She also has worked as a character designer and a story consultant in the animation industry. Anika currently lives in Nashville, Tennessee. Her first book is The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Welcome, Anika. Welcome to Baseball thank and Barbecue. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Anika, this is a... The title is The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, but this is an incredible book. It's just not your... At you, a book off the bookshelf, and, and you, it, it's history. I mean, it, the, the illustrations, the... The facts, the quotes, it was just, I was, when I received it, it was, I was so impressed. Well, that means the world. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And, and also, I happen to, I, I'm looking at, I'm like, because we each received a copy, which was extremely nice. Thank you very much. And, oh, good. I'm glad. And I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, how much is this book? I saw the price on the back, and it's only nineteen ninety five. I said there's got to be a mistake because I've seen books that are half as impressive as this go for much more. So uh, I think you got to people should know this is a bargain. Yes. <laughs> well, that's about how much money I'm going to make on it. So <laughs> no, but it was it was worth it was worth it. You know, I. I I'm very lucky that I had the opportunity to create the kind of book that I would that I would like or that I want to read. You know, I was very, very lucky to work with Chronicle Books because, you know, I, I've heard, I don't know about horror stories, but I've heard stories from a lot of different people who've created books with different publishers, and you just hear story after story of people having their creative freedom slowly siphoned off or, or bit by bit things taken away or there have been arguments about keeping something or getting rid of something and, or the title changed or whatever and I just I felt like they just were like okay make a book I'll talk to you in a few months <laughs> <It's> like, oh. <laughs> and they were wonderful and they, they elevated everything that needed help you know as far as some of the writing and, and things like that and they did, did a beautiful job with the design the cover the the cover you're talking about with the embossed letters, that was all them as far as the, the texture and the, the way it feels. And they, I just, I, they did such a wonderful job. It was such a pleasure to, to work with them. Uh, and they did a great job with the colors and the quality and the texture. So I got very lucky as far as that goes. So, so yeah, yeah, never mind, it's 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my first question, what was your inspiration to do a book on the uh, All-American Girls Professional Baseball League? Oh, 
oh gosh, well, there's endless inspiration there, but it, as far as, as it pertains to myself, I just, um, you know, kind of started with, I, I was doing a lot of baseball illustration and drawing at baseball games, and, and lucky to be doing some of it from broadcast booths, and, you know, I just really was having so much fun with it, but there was a certain point where I went to compile a bunch of these drawings into a book, just a, just a book of illustrations and maybe in some baseball quotes and different things like that, and um, like just a little self-published thing. And I was going through these stacks of drawings and just had this weird realization that, except you know, with the exception of some other fans in in the stands around me, there were no women in any of my drawings. And <laughs> it's not really something that I had been conscious of at any point in my life. But for some reason in this moment, it was like, this is, this is a weird, it's weird. It's especially because I, maybe it was just visually it is what it took for me to realize it because all my lines were kind of the same. The shapes were the same. You're drawing all men, male athletes that all kind of have the same, you know, similar physique. And I just love the story aspect of baseball and I love illustrating stories and, and history of baseball, different quirky little things that come out of, out of you know, folklore, if you will, and I just thought, you know, there's got to be great stories of women in baseball. There has to be something that I want to draw that involves women, and I just kind of went to the first place that I knew of, which was the movie League of Their Own, and it just led me down a total rabbit hole, and I found some great stories of a few women that, you know, just stories from their growing up or just these crazy anecdotal things, and I just locked onto it. I just thought, this is great. I'm going to, you know, I want to know more of this, and I just kind of started, <laughs> I don't know, feasting on, on everything I could find and just drawing for fun on it, and then um, I included some of those drawings in, in that self-published little book I did. Well, Anita, I, that was it. <laughs> I saw, you know, I did, I guess now, I always call it stalking, but they just call it, you know, Googling or whatever, or trolling. <laughs> and I, I saw a story that uh, you did, and there were some questions, and, and you kind of mentioned how if you had a project and you weren't really in love with it, you kind of, you know, kind of put it off, procrastinate, and you really wanted to, it, it was things that you you loved that really excited you. So I, I know from doing research and the book and you love baseball. So where did this love of baseball begin? I do. I do love baseball. Oh, you know, I've, I've kind of said, I've kind of told people that I really began to love baseball before I really even understood it. I think it's just connected to, you know, I grew up, I spent a lot of summers and a lot of weekends and a lot of time with my grandparents. And they lived in Fremont, California, and they were they were big baseball fans. My uh, both of them. And my grandfather grew up in Napa, California, and he grew up playing baseball. And his father uh, played baseball and managed a team in Vallejo. And you know, so they always had it on the radio or on TV if it was uh, you know maybe like a night game and we'd be sitting around watching on TV but usually on the radio and we would sit out on their deck or in their den and or even just driving in the car somewhere uh, it, it usually meant we were going somewhere fun and they would have it on in the car so just the sound of it the sound of it on the radio the sounds of the game them getting all worked up about something or, or discussing something I just 
loved it. I don't know why. It just was a comfort. And then, and then as I got a little bit older, you know, maybe in junior high, high school, I, I started to understand the game, and then I really started to love it. And my grandfather was a columnist, a newspaper columnist, and a you know, so a storyteller himself. So he was always telling stories about baseball when he was a kid, or his favorite players, or just these kind of quirky or interesting or fascinating things, and I just locked onto those as well. So I kind of tie it, you know, incorporate it all into the same love, I guess, and bring that with me when I go to a game. <laughs> you uh, you mentioned the movie A League of His Own, which has got to be the top ten baseball movies. I know it's one of my favorites. Every time, right. it, every time it's on, no matter what part it is, I'm, I'm watching it till the end. But that mm-hmm. is a Hollywood movie. I mean, it's not, it was, you know, had direct director, uh, Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall, right. who had her own spin on it. May not be historically accurate, but your book, I mean, obviously has a lot more interesting facts that we never knew came from the movie. For example, and I never knew this, Len and I both love baseball history, and after seeing the movie like a thousand times, I had no idea that the pitching uh, plate from the, the pitcher's mound to the home plate was changed every, uh, you know, every so often. From 40 feet to 42 to 50 to eventually 60 feet. And the base pass with the distance was, was changed, I guess, to make make it more competitive. Or, or Could you explain to me how that happened? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it started as the All-American Girls Softball League. It was actually meant to just start a softball, but they, they, they started with some modifications to begin with. That, that kind of made it more baseball-like because they were seeing these girls try out and play and they knew it was going to be pretty competitive. So they made a few changes, but what happened was they just, I think they sort of underestimated what would happen and they realized it just was too, they were too good. They just, you know, they needed the games to be more exciting, more contentious because they were so good. So they had to just keep lengthening base paths, lengthening distance from pitcher's mound, um, and also the, the pitching style changed. So that started as underhand and then moved on to sidearm and then full-on overhand within a matter of just a, a few years. So the distance of the pitching mound obviously had to change because I think they were you know, the overhand throwing. And a lot of these women had grown up throwing overhand. So when, you know, it, what's astounding to me is that with all these changes, they made the changes to be to make the games more exciting and more competitive. But what kills me is that these women were coming back sometimes, you know, year after year. A lot of the women played multiple seasons, and to just sort of like show up at training and be like, "Okay, now it's five feet longer. Okay, now we're throwing sidearm. Okay, now we're throwing overhead." <laughs> and and the adaptability and you know their their ability to adapt and adapt well and still play amazing baseball despite having like a like what would probably feel like a totally different field the next year um, is just to me is even more of a testament of what great athletes they were well Anika you mentioned in the book that uh, and let me just remind everybody the book is the incredible women of the all-american girls professional baseball league by Anika Oreck forward is by Jean Afterman and it's going to be available March 10th March 10th and uh, you can pre-order it uh, on Amazon, right? On Anika's website, which is right. anikaorock.com, A-N-I-K-A-O-R-R-O-C-K.com. It is available on Amazon, right? I mentioned Amazon. I hope <laughs> everything is on Amazon. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, you can get it with your new uh, vacuum bags and your right. <laughs> But you mentioned in the book, and this is something that that the, the girls, the girl, the women were asked uh, all the time. You know, oh, you play softball? And they said, no, we play baseball. And and even this game started out as softball and evolved into baseball. Um, I, that's a terrible travesty. That that it, they're two totally separate games, as you point out in the book. And people should be aware: softball and and baseball, they're not the same. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's a double it's it's a double crappy thing because you know there's this sort of there's one side of it where it's girls play softball, boys play baseball, men play baseball, women play softball, which is weird because there are also men that play incredible softball. And, right. You know, but but also the other side of that is that. Because for whatever reason, because it's sort of been assigned gender, there's this impression that uh, I think on the part of a lot of people, not, not I wouldn't say most or anything, but a lot of people think of softball as this sort of like inferior or easier version of baseball, and it's totally not. It's not that either. It's incredibly competitive, and if you watch professional softball players, it's like amazing. Yeah, they're just two totally different sports, and I have to admit that up until I had the opportunity to interview some um, incredible baseball players, contemporary baseball players, for the the afterward part of the book, I didn't really understand the differences. I mean, I knew they were different, but I didn't understand how different. And so, you know, a lot of these girls trying to get into college or being offered scholarships and one girl was saying I was just offered a scholarship for a sport I've never even played and that just that's when it hit me I was like wow that's that's weird <laughs> yeah Len and I was actually talking bad. about that before uh, we, we gave you a call that is a uh, uh, that's, yeah, what a dilemma I mean you offered a scholarship to play softball but you want to play baseball but the scholarship is you know for college what do you do it must be a very hard decision yeah, it is, and I think that's probably why a lot of, you know, and then also there's the dilemma of, okay, well, let's say you somehow do get to play baseball in college, then what? You know, I mean, if you wanted to make a career out of it, there's really just kind of like, currently, I think just one pathway, and that would be Team USA, and unfortunately, those women have to pay their own way to everything, they they don't have opportunity to train with one another very often, and if they do, they have to pay their away. And you know, they're not they're not a it's not professionalized in the sense that they get paid to do it really. So I don't know how appealing that would be to <laughs> a young person trying to make a career in one direction. And, and you know, Anita, uh, one yeah. of the one of the things in the movie that I love is at the end actually. When you actually see the the real players, you know, from the league, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and they get together and they start playing, so you actually have had had the opportunity to speak to these women, to go to their reunions, and they have a reunion every year. How how tell me about that? I mean, just talking to these women, and how did you decide which quotes to put in the book? Because you've got you've got. So for people who, you've got to get this book, there are quotes from tons of these players, by tons, but many of these players, and then there are also uh, blurbs from, whether it's a magazine of the time, newspaper. a newspaper of the time, talking about the league. How did you contact them and you know, t- talk about that experience? 
Sure. Well, um, you know, as I said, I kind of going into this rabbit hole of, of learning about them and, and then, you know, fast forward to getting this book deal with Chronicle. And so I spent <laughs> a big chunk of my, the first half of my advance money just going to a reunion because I, I found online that you could. I just thought, oh my God, you can just go to this thing? I mean, you don't have to, you know be anybody in particular so I went by myself to Cincinnati and it was really uncomfortable (laughs) only because I made it that way I'm not exactly you know I I can get around at a cocktail party but I am not the kind of person that feels comfortable just randomly approaching people and something like that it was clearly a very close-knit they're a family they've been doing this for 40 plus years these reunions and then their families, you know, they see each other every year. Someone said it, it sounds like it was like crashing a family reunion, which is exactly what it felt like. But they were welcoming. I think they all just kind of assumed that I was there with somebody else, you know. No one kind of owned, uh, owned me. And, but it was a pretty incredible thing to go to Great American Ballpark. They honored the women on the field. And I... I just was there and watching these women play catch on the field before they actually, you know, two of them threw and caught the ceremonial first pitch. And it was just like, wow, you know, just being there and seeing them fry and throwing and it was just so cool. From there, you know, I really just kind of, I I brought a bunch of my art with me um, and gave it to them as sort of like an introduction. And a lot of them were really just totally open and warm and welcoming and happy to talk with me. And I, I interviewed a few of them there. Had a really fun night in the hotel bar with a couple of them one night who had been teammates and they were really close friends. And that was a riot. I just turned my recorder on my phone on and just let them... I didn't even really have to ask them anything and they were amazing. But when I returned home and then after that, I... I um, called a lot of them. I did a lot of phone interviews. I did some traveling. I went to um, South Bend, Indiana, visited a couple of players there. Uh, I went to Rockford and saw a couple of players there. But for the most part, a lot of the interviews were over the phone just because I didn't have the money to get everywhere and they obviously can't, you know, that's, um, it's getting increasingly difficult too for them to get anywhere, some of them. So, a lot of the phone interviews, uh, also, I, I hate cold calling people and, and, you know, having to explain who I was and, you know, what I was doing and go through the whole thing. But And some of them started out being pretty, I guess, skeptical or guarded, kind of. Kind of like, okay, what do you want to know, you know? And, and I, I'm guessing since the movie, a lot of them have been approached a lot, and a lot of them are, are very eager to talk about it. But a lot of them that I called were... Or not, but I and I didn't want to press too hard. But I just said, you know, if at any point you don't feel like talking anymore, just let me know. We'll we'll stop talking, you know, and that'll be great. Okay, fine. And they would start going, and within like you know three, four, five minutes, something would click. Uh, I guess just talking about it, and they would just start going, and their voice would change, and they'd get excited. And I have several interviews that are well over an hour. Uh, I have one that was two and a half hours wow. in Canada, which I didn't realize at the time was outside of my calling plan and my <laughs> on a notification right after that I, I was being charged like 160 bucks. Wow. <laughs> like, oh no! But yeah, it was incredible. And they just 
you could tell once they got going, they were really reliving it and enjoying it, and it was just, I had some really very enjoyable conversations. One one thing that I love about the book is not not just the artwork, but you have you incorporate some uh, cartoon panels to tell part of a story, and part of the, in the movie that is actually uh, accurate is that the, these teams had chaperones, and you tell a story in a cartoon panel how the the women went out to breakfast one day and the chaperone happened to see them. I, I love that little story in, in cartoon form. Well, thank you. Yeah, some of the stories, you know. I, I, like you're saying, the format of the book is sort of stitching together of quotes and, oh, I think you asked how I even chose what went in and, um, oh my God, that might have been the hardest part of the whole book was just, I had so much information and so many great quotes and so many great newspaper clippings that whittling it down and then forming it into a narrative, um, I had to do it all physically on the walls of my studio. I couldn't use a computer because there was so much, so I just bought a bunch of thumbtacks, and um, it kind of looked, it looked a little scary. <laughs> In my studio, I think it looked like like the mind of some sort of like person plotting to level a city or something, but, um, <laughs> and, like uh, CSI. You know, <laughs> but uh, it was it was so much fun. But yeah, it, some of these stories were so great, and I couldn't quite figure out how they would fit in. Or you know, I wanted to make it a little more fun than just like me telling it. And I don't know. I just felt like they, I, I'd never really done comic panels before. Maybe like once or twice as a college assignment. But uh, it just seemed like. They, that they would be well suited to that to sort of break it up, break the book up visually, and be able to really just selfishly squeeze these stories in that I wanted to be in there. Well, I, I personally love love those cartoon panels, and obviously the whole book. One other thing I wanted to mention is you talk about Mary Bonnie George Baker, who made an appearance on What's My Line, and mm-hmm. uh, you talk about that in the book. I actually went on YouTube and found that clip. Yeah, it was it was right. great. I, it's I, on YouTube. It's, that's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. The, Isn't it fun? Oh, oh yeah. Yes. the uh, not to give it away, although if, if people if you haven't seen it yet, I don't think it's a spoiler when it's been how many years. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, <laughs> one of the one of the panelists is trying to guess what she does, and he has it in his head that she's a stripper. I mean, that was pretty obvious. Yeah. And, and so he's asking her, oh, wait, you, you, you take off, do, do you, you perform in front of, in front of people? And, yeah. Yes. And, and, uh, it, you, yeah, you have to go on YouTube and see that. It is really great. It's so good. And, and, you know, he just, I just love how hot and bothered he gets. And he just starts like, okay, you know, he knows where, he, he thinks he knows where it's going. But I really love how calm and amused she is she's just like you know she handles it beautifully and i just love it and you love how how each each wrong uh question she they give five dollars yeah. <laughs> and i think it was like she she could win a total of like fifty dollars and it was just i'm like you gotta be kidding me <laughs> Yeah, I know that's good too. I, I love that. It's just that's so good. I just love I love that show anyway. But finding that was like oh, it's a gem, old. absolute gem. I encourage everybody to go go check it out. 
the uh, the league started out with really four teams, and through the movie, I thought it was only four teams throughout the whole, uh, what, 12, 15 years of, of the league, but it actually grew to like, uh, what, 10, 15 teams around the, uh, I would say Midwest, in Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. But they kept changing too, yeah. right? Yeah. The teams kept changing? That's quite a nice, nice amount of the teams they had there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some teams changed, like, so I guess it would be sort of like a major league franchise moving to a different town and changing its name, but it's still essentially the franchise, you know. So that happened a couple times. Um, I think, you know, unfortunately, like, uh, a few teams didn't quite make it after the first couple of years, but most of them held on, and then as the league started to deteriorate at the end, they sort of whittled down again. But yeah, the, they added. I believe they added two teams after the in the in the second season. Uh, right away, it was so popular. Um, yeah, and the, and the timing in the movie. I, I just watched it again recently because um, I hadn't seen it in a few years, and right. I had never really noticed. Uh, yeah, it makes it seem like there's only four teams all the time, and also like kind of makes it seem like, oh, the war, the war is over, we're done, and, you know, there were a right. lot of, like, different weird inconsistencies yeah. that I don't think I ever noticed, because I wasn't, I didn't have the knowledge then that I now do, and uh, it's like they kind of don't really, it's just kind of vague. Well, <laughs> like it, it was there, and then it wasn't. <laughs> it was interesting, in the, so in the movie, you have the character, I guess, Gina Davis, right, she, she's, um, and her sister Kit, right, right. So she plays one season, and then I guess her husband comes back from the war, and then she leaves, right? Uh huh. So I guess it's so that is sort of based on reality, right? You have in the book. Um, yeah, the husband's the, come back from right, war. And the so I I can't remember what what's the uh, Anika. What's the um, the player's real name in the book? Uh, the the, the the one whose oh. who husband uh, the one whose husband she thought was dead and actually wasn't yeah um, uh, that is um, oh. he, actually the president of the players association Rick Chapman that's his mother um, oh my gosh I am totally why am I drawing a blank <laughs> on her name that's I'm, okay it's a lot, a lot of uh, right it's, well people have to buy the book and find out exactly but, but basically <laughs> she. So she found out before a game that her husband, she got word, she got a call that her husband was killed in the war. Played the game, and then afterwards, I guess, she told her team or whatever, and it turns out that they, he, wasn't he wasn't dead. Apparently, in battle or something, he lost his dog tags, and he ended up in the hospital, and they didn't know who he was, but then they found out, and so he wasn't dead. So he comes back. It's like a soap opera. So he he comes back. She and then she goes home. Um, and then uh, uh, so, so she goes home. He she's making money playing the, in this league, but he doesn't want her to play anymore. Excuse me, Len. It's Dorothy McGuire. Right. Person. Thank you. Yeah. So right. So yeah, then she. McGuire. So they end up getting divorced. Right. Right. But, but this is but that's who that's who uh, Gina Davis was playing in the movie, right? Is that uh, the character? Uh, no. Um, well, I think the story it, the story um, the character in the movie is Betty Spaghetti. 
right, okay. Or the urge well, she gets the notification that her husband is right. Oh, right, right. I'm sorry, but the but the one who not not the notification. So it's the two things mixed together. But but Gina yeah, Davis gonna, does yeah. leave to be with her husband. That's, right. that's a fictionalized story, but yeah. No, no, I know, but I'm saying in this case. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> All right, anyway. Right. <laughs> Anika, to turn serious just for a second, there, is, there was one scene in the movie where uh, Gina Davis is having a catch with uh, one of the pitchers and the ball gets loose and an African-American woman throws the ball back. And mm-hmm. during the, uh, the league, they kind of went with uh, the Major League Baseball that they didn't really allow African-American women in the league. And you mentioned here that a couple of them actually went on to play in the Negro Leagues, which was uh, which, mm. when the Indianapolis Clowns, and I, during research, I noticed that one of them actually took the place of Hank Aaron when he left to go to yeah. the Milwaukee Braves. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible. Yeah. 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 What's, what's really incredible, too, I felt, is it always amazes me when the women who, let's face it, they, they were, you know, not, you know, back then, unfortunately... They didn't have the right to vote, and they, you know, they only had this league because the men were off to war, and yet they really didn't have any uh, African American players. Supposedly, they claimed that there weren't any uh, uh, that were good enough. Right. But that's ridiculous. So it's just it's so strange when a group that's discriminated against discriminates. Right. Well, and that says so much about. Uh, I mean, you know, the fact that the women in the All-American Girls League had to, you know, that they had to uphold this image of femininity and wear the skirts and all that, you know, it was sort of like, I mean, the way that some uh, researchers and historians have have spoken about it is that it was already such a, a... big thing to make a success of. It was it was so unlikely to happen at that time already that, you know, the powers that be that created this league and, and the people making the decisions, which were older white men, um, all saying, you know, one thing at a time, basically, like, if this is going to work. Um, so a lot of the players I spoke with uh, had either had no idea that any African-American women had ever showed up at all, like a lot of them didn't even recall ever seeing them, um, and it's probably because they were turned away before they ever even got there, or they may have just known that they were not going to even stand a chance. Um, but it, you know, it's a shame because, like you're saying, it's it, it is a weird it's a weird thing when that happens. But what I find fascinating is that it kind of shows the hierarchy of social acceptance at that time where. They, but yet these women who were so talented and such amazing baseball players that couldn't get into a league of women could go in and and be accepted and play baseball alongside men of color at the time. Um, I just it's like so fascinating to me to see like what like where those things sort of fell into place at that point in time and what was considered too far and what was considered acceptable. Um, and I'm just, I love, and I think it's wonderful, and and it's, I'm so gratified in a way to know that they were able to play somewhere, because that just would have been a total tragedy if they'd never had an opportunity to play anywhere. Right. Um, 
you know, when my son was growing up, there was a girl on his team, you know, when they were 8, 9, 10 years old, and she actually was one of the better players. I was floored by her ability at that young age. Uh, pitcher, uh, shortstop, she was great. So my question is, do you think eventually down the road there will be a female in, in, in Major League Baseball? You know, there's a time when I don't think we would have ever thought we would see um, a woman coach, and, you know, we're seeing that now. And the Giants just hired the first full-time uh, woman coach, which is amazing. Um, as far as playing, that I, that's tough. I don't know. I think it's absolutely possible, um, and I think, um, it you know, it has every chance of happening as far as physical ability, but... I don't know. I think that um, I think it would be amazing. I think what would be even more amazing is a women's baseball league, uh, like a WNBA. Not for the purpose of that they need to stay separate or that they can't do it. I just the more I, the more people I've spoken with on the subject, and the more women I've talked to who play, um, I it's something that I didn't understand because I was never really involved in team sports. I, I did I participated in team sports a couple times, and I. <laughs> growing up and I really just I just was like such a daydreamer <laughs> I was not I was never good at it I did all individual sports like snowboarding and stuff so I never really understood that and hearing them talk about what it's like to play with other women um, the and how the competition is different the ability to focus on the game without having to feel that pressure of being better than everybody you know um just being able to play and focus and, and compete uh, without certain pressures um, and the camaraderie and all that, I, I think if young girls growing up knew that that was a possibility, I think they would be so much more excited to play. And, you know, because it's a lot of pressure as a little girl to think, okay, I'm the only girl on the Little League team. And, you know, it takes a certain person to be able to just deal with that every day all growing up through you know little league high school into college to just consistently be the only girl or one of you know if, if there's even two or three that's great but there rarely is um and that's really difficult for I, I just think that would be really difficult and I think if you knew like that you could just be on a team of women and continue down that path and have a professional career um it just it, it would be so it, it would be so much easier to just go and not have to worry about all that peripheral noise. Right. A, a few years ago, uh, we all remember Monet Davis in a little girl series. She's now going to college, I believe. She was she handled the pressure. I mean, you're talking about interviews and TV, and she handled it marvelously. She was uh, like the face of, of the team, but you know, she's really one of the one of the players, you know. And but she because she was a female, she got all the attention. Uh, she just wanted to play ball. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, exactly. That pressure can go either way. It can be a negative pressure, um, or it could technically be a positive one, but at the same time, it's, it's still attention and pressure nonetheless. But um, if you don't handle that sort of thing very well, you might just not even want to try. Um, you know, that could be intimidating. One of my favorite things that I, I think Justine Siegel was the one who said it um, when I interviewed her, uh, that, you know, I asked... Uh, a lot of these women about being first, like 
how do you feel about first and being the first person to do all these things as you said they can be wonderful and great and beautiful it can also make you not want to get out of bed in the morning mm-hmm. and you know I can see that um, and there's always got to be a first and it's wonderful that there is but um, it's like we kind of got to get past all those like <laughs> let's get through all the first and you know get to where these things are, are normal um, and it's kind of weird with baseball because it's so far behind. Like, there's so many other sports where women have developed their own sport, and they've it's progressed, and it's a whole industry. I mean, like, look at the Williams sisters in tennis, and, you know, it's so weird that baseball just sort of, like, never happened, and it's our national pastime. Yeah. Now, Anika, between, I agree with you. I mean, that's, baseball has to do something, but between the phone bills and the trips and so you are you are deep in debt so what's next uh what's next besides the fact that everybody has to buy this book because you need to you need to get out of debt what's next for you um well hopefully not my parents basement but um luckily they don't have one so i don't have a choice uh no i um well, I don't know, actually. That's a really good question. It's weird because I've done a lot of, you know, freelance illustration and writing um, before I started the book, and then the book was such an intensive process um, and such a relatively short amount of time that I really just had to make it a full-time job. Um, so I've been out of the sort of freelance working work. I, I picked up a few little projects here and there when there was like a break where I was waiting for uh, feedback from the publisher or something. But um, and now that now that I'm done with the book, it's I had no idea. It's a tremendous amount of work um, gearing up for publicity and and, and you know. It's all fun. It's all really fun stuff, but um, it's like I wake up at 6.30 and I'm done at 10 at night. (laughs) Still, I'm just not sitting and drawing like I was. It's a different kind of work. So I don't know. I kind of like once we get through this part, um, it's weird. I feel a little out of touch. I don't have regular freelance clients anymore, um, which is fine because, to be perfectly honest, a lot of the clients I had are clients that I would want to keep, so it's okay. Um, (laughs) But... Yeah, I guess this would be a good time to say, hire me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, uh, the book is called The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League by Anika Orak. It's available, will be available on March 10th. One, um, one thing I wanted to mention is I love that at the end of the book, if you want more information, you have a page where you, with a website and if you wanted to find out more information. Anika, are you going to go on a uh, book tour to promote the book? Uh, that is a good question. I'm, I'm doing a few things right now. Um, I don't know if it's a book tour per se, but there will be events, yes. I think rather than going around the country to bookstores, which I love and I'm a huge proponent of independent bookstores and will gladly be there if and when, wherever possible, but there are a lot of events happening in baseball this season, particularly uh, women's baseball. So I think um, we'll be doing some of of those events, tagging on to some of those. I get to throw out the first pitch at a Yankees game. Oh, um, really? Excellent. Uh, in May, so if you're in New York on May 5th. Well, we, um, we live in New York. Right. We'd, so, we'd rather you go to City Field, but Yankee Stadium we can go to. <laughs> exactly. We, yeah. I like City 
City Field. I haven't been there, but they don't. They didn't ask me to throw out the first pitch. So oh, that's a shame. I'm, uh, yeah. So don't. Uh, yeah. So come watch me. Hopefully not throw in the dirt. I <laughs> I can throw, but under that kind of pressure, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, there'll be some events, and um, I do have an event tab on my website that I will keep updated with uh, as events come through. So excellent. If you see me coming through, or you want me coming through, just give me a holler. Excellent. Well, Anika, we, we thank you so much for uh, spending time with us on Baseball on BBQ. Everybody, get the book. It's, <laughs> I can't stop gushing over it. Uh, and, and much success, success to you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and your interest in the book. I really, really appreciate it, and it's been really fun. Thank you. Thank you, Anika. Thank you, Anika. And again, please go out and buy this book. Fantastic. Len, what do you think? I'm floored. First we have Meathead, then we have Anika. I, I, this episode, I know I say this about a lot of our episodes, our guests are amazing, but this episode just, I mean, I'm still getting over the talk with Meathead. Then we had this great talk with Anika. What a talent. Yes. What? It's a beautiful book. But actually, think about well we we already we pointed out to meathead what the connection is right with uh you know the penny marshall and all that that's so cool with the yeah, whole very very cool right with the connection there um you know with the, the meathead rob reiner we we pointed that out his book is incredible his yes. co- that cookbook you know his cookbook is fantastic his website's fantastic and the talent there her book is Terrific. And go, and go to her website because yes. her drawings on there are, are, are fantastic right. too. What an artist. Yes. So, I mean, we really, we had two, you know, I feel like we should have just let them take over. They could have hosted the show. <laughs> yes. They could have uh, ended the show. I mean, talk about uh, the talent being so much better than the hosts. I'm sorry. <laughs> but... <laughs> We are just, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. And with that, Len, I think we should say goodbye until next time. Not worthy, but extremely thankful. Yes. And we're going to come back again, whether we're worthy or not. That's right. And I agree with you. <laughs> we should say goodbye, end the show, and just say, I hope everybody enjoys this one as much as we do. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time.